0: Amid the anger that erupted in the past couple of days at Pope Francis from a surprising number of regular pew-sitters over his just giving away of the bones of St. Peter to the schismatic Eastern Orthodox, a bit of vegano news kind of got lost in the headlines. It didn't help that this news came out on July 3rd, as many Americans were heading out to their various Fourth of July festivities, with little attention paid to the news. The Vigano news is a doozy as well, as it involves personal allegations made against Pope Francis that makes giving away the relics of Saint Peter to schismatics because he doesn't sleep in the Apostolic Palace or say mass in the basilica seem relatively trite by comparison. And yes, if you hadn't heard about the story of the bones, he did say that, ignoring entirely that one day he won't be pope anymore, and that maybe Just maybe his successor would like to have the relics of the first Supreme Pontiff on hand, like they have had been for decades. Either way, the Vigano news is big, so let's dive into it. Okay, so on June 10th, the Washington Post published a bombshell interview with Archbishop Vigano. The thing is that what the Post ran that day was incomplete. They withheld part of the interview for reasons I couldn't find, though I may have missed the explanation somewhere. LifeSite got the redacted portion of that interview and published it on July 3rd. It addresses accusations of sex abuse against a high official of the Holy See, as well as the cover-up of a former seminarian, now priest, who had been accused of the sexual abuse of pre-seminarian adolescents, who had been the Pope's altar boys. Yes, you heard that correctly. The cover-up of the alleged abuse of the Pope's personal altar boys. The rot truly does go to the top, allegedly anyway. So, in keeping with my tradition of reading the words of Archbishop Vigano verbatim, I'll do so here as well as I have for the past years since Vigano became a household name among Catholics and, strangely, even a marketing brand for some. So, here are the words of Archbishop Vigano, as originally recorded by the Washington Post, but published this week by LifeSite News. They speak for themselves. Question from the Washington Post. Do you see any signs that the Vatican under Pope Francis is taking proper steps to address the serious issue of abuse? If not, what is missing? The signs I see are truly ominous. Not only is Pope Francis doing close to nothing to punish those who have commuted, committed abuse, he is doing absolutely nothing to expose and bring to justice those who have, for decades, facilitated and covered up the abusers. Just to cite one example, Cardinal Wurl who covered up the abuses of McCarrick and others for decades, and whose repeated and blatant lies have been made manifest to everyone who has been paying attention, had to resign in disgrace due to popular outrage. Yet, in accepting his resignation, Pope Francis praised him for his nobility. What credibility has the Pope left after this kind of statement? But such behavior is by no means the worst. Going back to the summit and its focus on the abuse of minors, I now wish to bring to your attention two recent and truly horrifying cases involving allegations of offenses against minors during Pope Francis's tenure. The Pope and many prelates in the Curia are well aware of these allegations, but in neither case was an open and thorough investigation permitted. An objective observer cannot help but suspect that horrible deeds are being covered up. The first is said to have occurred inside the very walls of the Vatican, at the pre-seminary Pius X, which is located just a short walk from the Dome Sancte Marte, where Pope Francis lives. That seminary trains minors who serve as altar boys in St. Peter's Basilica and at papal ceremonies. One of the se- uh, seminarians, Camille Jazermbowski, a roommate of one of the victims, claims to have witnessed dozens of incidents of sexual aggression. Along with two other seminarians, he denounced the aggressor, first in person to his pre-seminary superiors, then in writing to cardinals, and finally, in 2014, again in writing, to Pope Francis himself. One of the victims was a boy, allegedly abused for five consecutive years, starting at age 13. The alleged aggressor was a 21-year-old seminarian, Gabriel Martinelli. That pre-seminary is under the responsibility of the Diocese of Como, and is run by the Don Fulci Association. A preliminary investigation was entrusted to the judicial vicar of Como, Don Andrea Stabellini, who found elements of evidence that warranted further investigation. I received first-hand information indicating that his superiors prohibited his continuing the investigation. He can testify for himself, and I urge you to go and interview him. I pray that he will find the courage to share with you what he so courageously shared with me. Along with the above, I learned how the authorities of the Holy See dealt with this case. After evidence was collected by Don Stabinolini... The case was immediately covered up by then-Bishop of Como, Diego Cocecoletti, together with the Cardinal Angelo Comastri, Vicar General of Pope Francis for Vatican City. In addition, Cardinal Coco Palmiro, then-President of the Pontifical Council for Legislative Texts, who was consulted by Don Stabellini, strongly admonished him to stop the investigation. You might wonder how this horrible case was closed. The Bishop of Como removed Don Stabellini from the post of judicial vicar. The whistleblower, the seminarian Camille Jarzembowski, was expelled from the seminary. The two fellow seminarians who had joined him in the denunciation left the seminary, and the alleged abuser, Gabriele Martinelli, was ordained a priest in July 2017. All this happened within the Vatican walls, and not a word of it came out during the summit. The summit was therefore terribly disappointing for it is hypocrisy to condemn abuses against minors and claim to sympathize with the victims while refusing to face up to the facts honestly. A spiritual revitalization of the clergy is most urgent, but it will ultimately be ineffectual if there is no willingness to address the real problem. The second case involves Edgar Pena Para, whom Pope Francis has chosen to be the new substitute at the Secretary of State, making him the third most powerful person in the Curia. In doing so, the Pope essentially ignored a terrifying dossier sent to him by a group of faithful from Maracaibo, entitled Can Es Verder Demente Monsignor Edgar Robinson Peña Para Nueva Sustito de la Secretaria de Estado del Vaticano, in not broken, destroyed Spanish, its English title is Who Really Is Monsignor Edgar Robinson Peña Para, the new substitute at the Secretariat of State of the Vatican? The dossier is signed by Dr. Enrique W. Lagunuis Machado in the name of the, uh, of the group of laity of the Archdiocese of Maracaibo for a church and clergy in accordance with the heart of Christ. These faithful accused P- uh, Peña Para of terrible immorality, describing in details alleged crimes. This might even be a scandal surpassing that of McCarrick, and it must not be allowed to be covered by silence. Some facts have already been a stat published in the media, notably in the Italian wiki Le Espresso. I will now add facts known by the Secretariat of State in the Vatican since 2002, which I learned when I served as a delegate for pontifical representation. In January 2000, Maracaibo journalist Gaston Gusende Lopez made serious accusations against some priests from the Diocese of Maracaibo, including Monsignor Pena Parra, involving sexual abuse of minors and other possible criminal activity. In 2001, Gastón Guzández López, twice asked to be received by the Apostolic Nuncio, the Pope's ambassador in Venezuela, Archbishop André Dupuy, to discuss these matters, but the Archbishop inexplicably refused to receive him. He did, however, report to the Secretary of state that the journalist had accused Monsignor pa- Paniapara of two very serious crimes, descri- crimes describing the circumstances. First, Edgar Para was accused of having seduced... On September 24, 1990, two minor seminarians from the parish of San Pablo, who were to enter the major seminary of Maracaibo that same year. The event is said to have taken place in the church of Nuestra Señora del Rosario, where the Reverend Jose Severin was parish priest. Reverend Severin was later removed from the parish by the then Archbishop Monsignor Roa Perez. The case was reported to the police by the parents of the two young men and was dealt with by the then-Rector of the Major Seminary, Rev. Enrique Perez, and uh, by the then-Spiritual Director, Rev. Emilio Melcor. Rev. Perez, one question by the Secretary of State, confirmed in writing the episode of September 24, 1990. I have seen these documents with my own eyes. Second, Edgar Peña-Para was allegedly involved, together with a uh, name redacted by LifeSite News, in the death of two people a doctor and a certain uh, Jairo Perez, which took place in August 1992 on the island of San Carlos in Lake Maracaibo. They were killed by an electric discharge, and it is not clear whether or not the deaths were accidental. This same accusation is also contained in the aforementioned dossier sent by a group of laypeople from Maracaibo, with the additional detail that the two corpses were found naked, with evidence of macabre homosexual loot encounters. These accusations are, to say the least, extremely grave. Yet, not only was Peña Parra not required to face them, he was allowed to continue in the diplomatic service of the Holy See. These two accusations were reported to the Secretariat of State in 2002 by then-apostolic nuncio in Venezuela, Archbishop André Dupuy. The relative documentation, if it has not been destroyed, can be found both in the archives of the diplomatic personnel of the Secretariat of State, where I held the position of delegate for the pontifical representations, and the archives of the Apostolic Nunciature in Venezuela, where the following archbishops have served as nuncios since. Giacinto Berloco from 2005 to 2009, Pietro Perolin from 2009 to 2013, and Aldo Giodorno from 2013 to the present. They all had access to the documents reporting these accusations against the future substitute, as did the Cardinal's Secretary of State Sodano, Bertone, and Perlin, and the substitutes Sandri, Faloni, and Beccio. Particularly egregious is the behavior of Cardinal Perlin, who as Secretary of State, did not oppose the recent appointment of Peña Para as substitute, making him his closest collaborator. Even more, years earlier, in January 2011, as Apostolic Nuncio in Caracas, Perilin did not oppose the appointment of Peña Para as Archbishop and Apostolic Nuncio to Pakistan. Before such important appointments, a rigorous informative process is made to verify the suitability of the candidate. So these accusations were surely brought to the attention of Cardinal Perilin. Furthermore, Cardinal Perilin knows the names of a number of priests in the Curia. Were sexually unchaste, violating the laws of God that they solemnly committed themselves to teach and practice, and, you, and he continues to look the other way. If Cardinal per- Perolin's responsibilities are grave, even more so are those of Pope Francis for having chosen for an extremely important position in the Church a man accused of such serious crimes, without first insisting on an open and thorough investigation. There is one more scandalous aspect to this horrific story. Peñapara is closely connected with Honduras, and more precisely with Cardinal Maradiaga and Bishop Juan Jose Pineda. Between 2003 and 2007, Peñapara served in the nunciature of Tegugalpa, and while he was there, he was very close to Juan Jose Pineda, who in 2005 was ordained Auxiliary Bishop of Tegugalpa, becoming the right-hand man of Cardinal Maradiaga. Juan Jose Pineda resigned from his post of Auxiliary Bishop in July 2018, without any reason given to the faithful of Tegucalpa. Pope Francis has not released the results of the report that the apostolic visitor, the Argentine bishop Altsides Casaretto, delivered directly, and only to him more than a year ago. How can one interpret Pope Francis' firm decision not to talk about or answer any question about this matter except as a cover-up of the facts and protection of a homosexual network? Such decisions reveal a terrible truth. Rather than allowing open and serious investigation of those accused of grave offenses against the Church, the Pope is allowing the Church herself to suffer. Coming back to your question, you ask me if I see any signs that the Vatican under Pope Francis is taking proper steps to address the serious issues of abuse. My answer is simple. Pope Francis himself is covering up abuse right now, as he did for McCarrick. I say this with great sorrow. When King David pronounced the greedy, rich man in Nathan's parable worthy of death, the prophet told him bluntly, quote, "You are the man." See Second Samuel chapter 12, verse one to seven. I had hoped my testimony might be received like Nathan's, but it was instead received like that of King Micah. See First Kings chapter 22 verses 15 to 27. I pray that this will change. Again, those are the words of Archbishop Carlo Maria Vigano, which have been redacted in the Washington Post interview with him on June 10th, recently released by LifeSite News Uncensored, save for one redacted name. I'll let you decide for yourself the veracity of those statements. I'm Anthony Stein. Mave Maria.